0: Welcome to episode number 69 of Off the Shelf. Thank you for joining us on the Off the Shelf podcast. This is part three of the discussion that I had with message pastor Jesse Smith regarding the status of William Branham as a prophet. Specifically, in this portion of our discussion, we deal with the following questions. How do we respond to William Branham's failed visions given the clear requirements of Deuteronomy 18, 20-22? How is this affected by cognitive bias? Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit a separate work of grace, like salvation? Do you have to accept the message of William Branham to be born again? And finally, if William Branham was the messenger to the Church of Laodicea, the Elijah prophet, and the angel of Revelation 10:7. how could he be so lacking in credibility? Jay Cox and Tim Krause are the moderators of our discussion. Rod, the floor
1: is yours for a second question.
0: Someone once said that an extraordinary claim requires extraordinary proof. In terms of the claims relating to William Branham, and, and this is the question we're addressing, was G- William Branham the messenger to the Church of Laodicea, the Elijah prophet, the angel of Revelation 10-7? If that's the case, then the evidence should be clearly and undeniably demonstrated this. This requirement is appropriate given the statements in Luke 1, 1-4 and Acts 1, 1-3. We also read in 1 Samuel 3:19 to 20 as Samuel grew up the Lord was with him. Everything Samuel said proved to be reliable, and all Israel, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. So from my view, the weight of doubt on William Branham's prophetic ministry is overwhelming. As I said previously, there are no circumstances in which William Branham publicly told of an unambiguous vision before the fact in a recorded sermon that was subsequently clearly fulfilled. If this were a few, simply a few small issues... I might concede, Jesse, that giving William Branham the benefit of the note might be okay, but I look at the multiple things that William Branham, that visions failed. The Municipal Bridge, Brown Bear, the Plum and Apple Trees, Marilyn Monroe, the 1933 prophecies. William Branham said he had tens of thousands of visions, which were never wrong. However, we have no record of a single vision that foretold of a specific event before the fact which was later clearly fulfilled. What do we do with the examples of visions he foretold, which do not come to pass, given the clear requirements of Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22?
1: All righty. And Pastor Jesse, you have five minutes.
2: Okay. First of all, I believe Brother Bram does have evidence to clearly demonstrate Revelation 10 7. He finished the mysteries of God. Um, there are 12 doctrines, Paul and John and Others list as mysteries. They're specifically called mysteries, and Brother Branham preaches six of them with, "Thus saith the Lord." And that's what my next book is on right now. I have over three hundred thousand words. Hopefully, I finish it by the end of this year. But Brother Branham's ministry did fulfill Revelation ten seven. Now, in regards to First Samuel three, the Bible said, "The Lord let none of His words fall to the ground." I believe that's true. But Romans 3, 9 through 14 says everyone falls short of the glory of God. Everyone is at least sometimes sinned with their words. They've said the wrong thing. So Samuel obviously would have sinned with some word. So I I take that scripture as meaning when Samuel spoke, thus saith the Lord, it was reliable. It came to pass. Remember, the Bible said Abraham's called a prophet, but yet he lied. So do we automatically uh, say Abraham had credibility issues? I think we have to remember that he was a man and he made mistakes. We all make mistakes with our words, but he was still a prophet. Speaking of Abraham, Genesis 20, verse 7, God calls him a prophet, but he lied multiple times about Sarah being his wife. He was still credible, but he's just fallible at times as a human. But as we know, a real prophet can't make a mistake with thus saith the Lord. Now here's why I give Brother Branham the benefit of the doubt. He literally his preaching, pointing me to the Bible, literally transformed my life. He lived a humble, faithful life. He was not a prosperity preacher. He lived true to his first wife. And after she died, the second wife, he pointed me to the word, the absolute. But I think the vision of Florence Shikarian, I think that counts because it was told beforehand. And I know Brother Rod, but we'll get to it eventually. I know it's not hard to predict, but I think why it was significant around Brother Bram's day was because Brother Branham said there was numerous people around the Shakaran family that were prophesying she was going to be healed. And that's why Brother Bram delivered that vision, because he said it was a vision. I saw it on your website. He you know, you had the quote and everything like that. But it, he said it was a vision and she was going to pass. And I know he left himself an out. He talked about that too. But that is scriptural. God sometimes does give people an extended uh, period of to live, like we know that with Hezekiah. We know that's scriptural. That does sometimes happen. Now, the other vision was the preview of the bride, and here's why, Brother Rod, I really believe this is in the process of coming to pass. My mother was born and raised in the Assemblies of God denomination. All the women had long hair. They didn't wear makeup. They didn't do rock and roll, but in her lifetime, she has seen those same characteristics in Brother Bram's vision. The women cut their hair. They started wearing makeup. Preachers started smoking, and women undress themselves. And now my mother, she's still in that denomination, bless her heart, I love her. And I'm not condemning her or anything. I'm just, I'm pointing out that I believe those people are in sin by doing those things. And now she's gone to their denominational youth conferences, and they play rock and roll. And they play hip hop and they dance to these worldly things. And to me, it's clear that vision brother Branham had is clearly coming to pass. And now what do we do with all the examples now we could spend probably 30 minutes on each of those examples you gave jay how much time do i got
1: i was actually about to say uh
2: one minute okay and this is what i have to do it's boiled down to this brother rod visions are either conditional or unconditional and i know that you maybe heard me say that on the one i talked with jay earlier on my april interview but that's the way I have to look at every single vision brother rod and ask the lord to help me understand is is this conditional or unconditional because the bible's full or not full but i say the bible does give examples where promises of god are conditional like king saul the bible said the lord would have gave him the kingdom forever but he disobeyed so that was a conditional promise and a vision is just the word of god it's just another form of god's word Joshua's generation did not inherit the coast in that first generation, yet it was thus saith the Lord. They could have, but it was a conditional promise. And so that's what I have to do. I have to look at every, and then God can use other people to fulfill visions. Like with Elijah, God told Elijah he'd anoint three people. He only did one, and God used other people to fulfill it. And sometimes prophets doubt their visions, like John the Baptist. Uh, doubt the time. He had of Jesus, the dove coming down on Jesus, but Jesus was gracious to him. Thank you.
1: Uh, Absolutely. Brother Rod, you have
0: a... Uh, F- pre- Florence Shakarian. Wow. Prophecy of someone that the doctors have said have terminal, inoperable cancer, that she would die. Yeah, there's people on the other side saying she wouldn't die, but uh, that, that doesn't mean William Branham. And then he gave himself an note. So you can read it on our website. Here's the point. For Moses... Even in disobedience, God backed up the words of Moses. He struck the rock and water came out, even though God had commanded him to speak to the rock. But God didn't do that for William Branham. God did not back up the words of William Branham like he did with Moses. God did not back up the words of William Branham like he did with Samuel. There's nothing in William Branham's ministry that was even close to being like Moses or like Samuel or like Paul. For me, if the penalties of Deuteronomy twenty twenty two could be ignored on the basis of a prophet's disobedience, that they were somehow conditional, it could never be implied. Prophet would always just say, I disobeyed God, therefore you can't kill me. And it makes no sense. On the basis of what you're saying, how could Deuteronomy eighteen, twenty to twenty two ever apply to a prophet that had a division that failed? Why wouldn't you give everyone the benefit of the doubt?
1: Was that that your time? Yep. Okay. All right. Pastor Smith, you have three minutes.
2: Okay. God did honor Brother Ram like he did Moses. It's at the beginning of Brother Ram's ministry. There's a quote. If you look up Brother Rod, he says, in the shoes, he said, I was in Balaam's shoes. There was a time in Brother Ram's ministry when he said, bring me the hardest cases, and I'll do those first. And the angel of the Lord let him know that was not right later. The angel of the Lord let him go for months. and. According to this testimony, many of those people were healed. So to me, God did honor Brother Bram's gifts because those are his gifts. His gifts were to pray for the sick, right? Get the people to believe that Jesus Christ is the healer. So I do believe that God did honor Brother Bram like he did Moses. And I forget your second question, Rod. What was your second question? I'm sorry.
0: The issue was for Deuteronomy 18.22— if you give people the benefit of the doubt, then you, you will never apply Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22.
2: I think it depends on the prophecy. If prophecies are time-stamped, Rod, then yeah, then you can clearly do it. If a prophecy has to happen by this time, well, then you can do it plainly. Uh, William but I Graham had a vision, Jesse. I saw a vision of me
0: shooting a brown bear. It's going to happen. He didn't shoot the brown bear. He said he had a vision that he shot it. It
2: didn't happen. To me, that's the same thing as this gen- king Saul. You can have the kingdom forever, and it—it it was the word of God, but he didn't because he failed.
0: Different between God saying something and a prophet saying this is going to happen. This wasn't God speaking. William Branham was given a vision, so he said that he would shoot a brown bear,
2: and it was going to happen, and it didn't. Right. Well, he never said. He never. Here's what I would say. He never said, thus saith the Lord, I'm going to shoot it. So he just said, thus saith the Lord, it will be. And that's He, what he had a vision. He had a vision, Jesse. He told us what the vision was. That, Rod, Rod, that's what I'm saying. The vision is just like the word. It's a potential result if it's obeyed.
0: Then any single prophet could say, oh, I disobeyed. You can't kill me. Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22 doesn't apply because I disobeyed. I got a note, always.
2: I don't think so. I think uh, each one you got to look at individually, and then you can see which ones, if they're time stamped, or which ones are just God giving a direction, or which, you can even see which ones are unconditional, like Jonah, that was unconditional, like uh, Jesus, unconditional. So there are clearly promises that are conditional, and then those that are unconditional.
3: So I'm going to, I'm going to interject here, and I'm, Again, I know that I'm not supposed to be the participant here, but I think what it comes down to is this. What I hear Pastor Smith saying is that there are certain instances where what a prophet says is conditional, and we're in the position that we have to judge whether or not that prophecy was conditional or not. Pastor Smith, does that sound like that kind of sums that up?
2: Yeah, and that just brought to me 1 Corinthians 14 that says let two or three judge, but go ahead.
3: Okay, so yeah. And I get that. I think the difference is what Rod is saying is it's not our judgment that matters in this thing. What does matter is what God says regarding prophets and what God says in Deuteronomy with prophets is if what they say don't come to pass. So I think we're stuck on an issue that says Rod is saying it's a matter of whether or not the person who is speaking actually fulfilled the prophecy according to God and I think what you're saying is we have to be the judge or we're going to be the judge as to whether or not what somebody prophesied actually came to pass or whether or not that prophecy was conditional. So I think the difference is God judges or people judge as to whether or not it's a conditional prophecy. And I and so I just, I'll back out again, but I think that's a distinction in what I hear you saying. So correct me if I'm wrong. Well,
1: I think on that note, maybe this would be another good time to pose a, a dual-ended question to the both of you one thing i, I would want to ask for pastor smith we'll let you go first since this was rod's question and you're the one doing the defending in this particular part so i can think of two different visions that appeared to be conditional hezekiah's death and the destruction of israel in the time of josiah both did end up coming to pass though they were just pushed off to a later date in the case of hezekiah it was 15 years in the case of Josiah, Jeremiah prophesying the destruction of Israel, it was for Josiah's entire life, which ended up being 31 years, which does seem to be not quite the same thing. Like it did come to pass at some point, just not in the time frame that was initially laid out. So my question to you would be, why is it that these instances seem to completely not come to pass rather than just pushed off to a later time or accomplished in another way? And then to Rod, my question would be, is there anything to be said for some of these, especially if the promises themselves were laid out by the prophet to be conditional? And the example I think the Pastor Smith gave is a good one. Is it fair to say that Saul would have had, thus saith the Lord, we could be calling Jesus son of Saul, if Saul would have just been obedient? Is that a, actually a, a fair, because it does sound like a relatively fair defense. And I think both of you are making excellent points, I want to point out. But Pastor Smith, you go ahead, and then Rod, if you need me to reiterate my question, I will when he comes to you, and I'll give you each three minutes.
2: Can you reiterate yours, Jay? I'm sorry, I'm thinking about so many things, forgive me. Can you (laughs) reiterate your question? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: So I think of two instances in the Bible, Old Testament, of conditional. Uh, Exactly, Josiah and Hezekiah. So they did come to pass eventually just by a different means and in a different time frame. In the case of Jeremiah talking about destruction of Israel, Josiah was a righteous king, so therefore it was going to happen after Josiah's death. In the case of Hezekiah's own death, he weeps and he calls out to the Lord. So it's going to come to pass, but it's going to come to pass 15 years later instead because God has extended his life. They both end up being conditional in a sense, because what was initially spoken verbatim is not what ends up being what God ends up doing. But the prophecy itself, namely Israel will be destroyed or Hezekiah will die, did come to pass. So why is it in these particular cases that it's not just a change of methods or time frame, but it seems to be an entirely different situation where the brown bear, to the best of my knowledge, was not shot?
2: Yeah, go tie me. It just seems like God deals with individuals in different ways. Do you remember King Saul? This is not related to the prophecy, but King Saul had to follow certain signs right before he became king. Samuel gave him certain signs to follow. Uh, So we have this idea where God, this truth where God deals with people sometimes and they have to follow signs. They have to be obedient. Paul said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. The idea of visions and God dealing with men through visions and instructions and signs, that's a new subject for me, I know. And then none of us have ever lived among a prophet before. I believe Brother Branham was a true prophet. It's okay. Obviously, other people don't. But if he was a genuine prophet who lived in all the visions, which many people around him saw him foretell things at least according to their own testimonies i wasn't there but they saw god interact with brother branham in this format through just visions and then they would come to pass none of them are on tape but they're on tape through people's testimonies but not through brother Branham's tapes so it's a new area and i'll just be very honest i'm intrigued to study it more and i'm really looking at how god deals with prophets And so that's why I'm saying I have to look at every situation, especially with brother Branham and see if the vision is just for him, like directions, like with the brown bear, that was just a directional thing. It was just a conditional thing. And he just failed the vision, but the vision didn't fail. He failed the vision and it was a conditional thing. But obviously there's others that are unconditional. And so I would need, Rod was saying about every prophet would have to be, every prophet could fly under the radar in a way and get out of their prophecy failing. But I I would need some examples of that and uh, from Rod or Jay or someone to try to understand, because maybe I'm not understanding this, but I just believe every promise of God, some are unconditional and some are conditional. How much time do I got, Jay?
1: We are at about 45 seconds.
2: Okay, I'll just say with the last few 45 seconds, one of my videos about Brother Branham is future prophecies. One's about the bombing of the Vatican. Other one's about... The, uh, the driverless cars. Now the one with the Vatican, th- these are time stamped as far as tribulation period. They're not going to happen now. They're going to be in the tribulation period, the mark of the beast being laid out through the United States and every denomination taking the mark of the beast. These are things that they have to come to pass during the tribulation period. So that there's a time constraint on them. They're not going to happen before that. They're going to happen during the tribulation period. So some of these prophecies of Brother Branham are unconditional. But it seems like God was dealing with him with certain areas of his life, like with hunting, and teaching him to be obedient. So they were conditional promises. Thank you.
1: And thank you, Pastor. And then, so to reiterate my question—man, this time will not turn off. I apologize. So, and then my, to reiterate my question, sorry, for Brother Rod here, the example Brother Jesse gives here of a conditional promise does seem to be a very solid one, in my opinion. And I would even go as far as to say, had we actually had the fruition of this on Saul's end, like I said, it's possible that we would live in a world where we called Jesus the son of Saul rather than the son of David. That is a clear example of a conditional promise that did not end up coming to pass because of a man's obedience. And I'd like to give even another example, too, which is of Israel stretching from the Euphrates to the Tigris, which never occurred because the people of Israel just never... First off, never fulfilled their own end of, as far as righteousness, but also militarily didn't do what God commanded them to do. So my question to you is, if that has happened, those are prophecies, thus saith the Lord, and they did not come to pass because they were conditional, then doesn't that at least open the possibility that if the prophet themselves spoke a conditional prophecy, like if we can actually deduce from this prophecy that it's clear the prophet was being conditional, should we not give them that benefit of the doubt? Good question. The question is, is it conditional or not? This is, in
0: my view, an issue of cognitive bias and cognitive dissonance. So if you believe William Branham is a prophet, then you cannot admit that a vision of his failed. Now, the return ministry sect believe that William Branham will rise from the dead, and he's going to come back and he's going to go to South Africa, because they admit these visions were not fulfilled. He's going to come back and he's going to go to South Africa to hold meetings, and he's going to come back and he's going to shoot a brown bear. Now, they actually admit that, but their spin on it, because of cognitive bias, is that they've got to have some other explanation. Now, it is true that there are things that God will say, but you have to read uh, elsewhere in the Word. The prophet Jeremiah said this, the instant—this is God speaking—he says, the instant I speak concerning a nation— and concerning a kingdom to pluck up or pull down to destroy it, if that nation, again, whom I have spoken, turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And that's in Jeremiah 18. And the reverse is true, too, that if he says he's going to bless the nation, and then they go and do something wrong, then God will negate that. The issue with the brown bear is it wasn't conditional. For example, I'm going into the background tree, William Branham said in June 1962, that you might know when I come back next year, I'm going to get a brown bear that's almost twice that size, if it's right or not. i seen it. God's perfect and never fails. You find out if it's right or not. So this is not a conditional uh, thing, and it doesn't concern nations or kings. This is something a man said, I am a prophet. I had a vision. It will be fulfilled. See if God's right or not. God's perfect and never fail. And honestly, if William Branham was a prophet like Moses or like Samuel, God would have backed up his word and made sure that what William Branham said came to pass. It didn't come to pass and therefore, I must say, he failed the test of Deuteronomy 18, 20 to 22. He is not a true prophet of God.
1: righty. and I appreciate both you guys. Just to be clear again, were those questions a solid wrap-up for us to move on to yep. Pastor Smith's second one? Yes, sir. All righty, thank you both. I appreciate you guys. These are honestly—I just have to say really quick— I've debated a lot of people, and I've watched a lot of debates, and I've watched a lot of discussions that were not necessarily formal, and so many times you go into a conversation and it's either a total dumpster fire or one guy is just clubbing the other guy over the head because the other guy is completely ignorant, and that is not this conversation so far. So I just wanted to let you guys know this has so far been like a a very enlightening and good conversation, in my opinion, on both ends.
3: Hey, CJ, you've actually watched a dumpster fire? I'm just saying. It's okay with me. I'm just saying. Honestly, I I watch Modern Day
1: Debate a lot, the YouTube channel on here. I'm also on that channel quite frequently, and just watch it and you'll see exactly what I mean. Sometimes the debates are not high quality. Okay. Not the channel's fault. It's the speaker's fault, but nonetheless. I got you. Pastor Smith, the floor is yours for a second question.
2: My second question was, Rod, since it seems from your podcast you believe a person is baptized with the Holy Ghost when they believe, I disagree, as I believe in the three works of grace do you negate the many examples from both the gospels jesus disciples believed in him and it's implied they were baptized during jesus earthly ministry but not baptized with the holy ghost until acts 2 4 and the book of acts there's one two three four or yeah three examples there that prove a person is not born again until some point after they initially believe
0: that's a good question I understand William Branham taught there were three works of grace, and therefore, there have to be three kinds of Christians depending on how many works of grace that person has gone through. The Bible doesn't support this. There are not three different classes of Christians. You can't find three classes of believers in Scripture. There are two types of people in this world, those that are followers of the way and those that aren't. William Branham simply bored the teaching of the Wesleyan Pentecostal Church, who also espoused three works of grace and did it before William Branham grabbed that one, and taught that baptism of the Spirit is a distinct act separate from becoming a Christian. From your question, I don't think you understand that disciples could not be converted until after the arrival of the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus told Peter before the resurrection, when you are converted, in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, 32, when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. Peter was not converted until the day of Pentecost. And we see Peter tell those gathered in the temple in Acts 3.16 to repent and be converted. As you stated in your question, you're implying things from Scripture, but implication cannot override explicit teaching. We understand from Romans 8, 9, that a person without the Spirit is not a Christian. They do not belong to Christ. So without the Holy Spirit, a person cannot experience your first work of grace. And interestingly, the term work of grace does not appear in the New Testament. Paul tells the the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the same church where some people were actually getting drunk on wine at the communion service— Paul tells them, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. In Ephesians 1.13, Paul tells us that when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. In Galatians 3.2, Paul asked the church the question, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So we understand that the Holy Spirit is received by simply believing, and not by something later after a person has believed. So unless Scripture explicitly tells us we must do something, what is only narrated or described as a story does not function as explicit teaching. Implying things from Scripture is dangerous. If Luke really intended his narratives in Luke and Acts to establish a precedent for the future, then why don't message churches choose church officers by casting lots? And why don't all message believers sell all their possessions and give it all to the church? We cannot simply pick and choose what we wish to do and discard the rest. And and that's what William Branham did. He believed certain things and then read those things into Scripture. I believe, as Paul taught in Ephesians 5.18, that we are to keep on being filled with the Spirit. God calls us to a continuous supply of the Holy Spirit rather than to a single event that is once and for all. Now, I, there is a biblical concept of the filling of the Holy Spirit, but it is not salvational. The Holy Spirit is described as coming on all in Acts 2.4, 4.31, and on the disciples in Acts 13.52, who had already received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. He also came on Peter in Acts 4.8, and Paul in Acts 13.9, with great empowerment to speak God's word boldly to the amazement of all who witnessed it. Now, I should add, I believe in the active work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. I have experienced the supernatural in my life, before I was in the message, while I was in the message, and certainly after I left the message. I continue to experience the power of God in my life, including the manifestation of supernatural acts. As Paul said in Romans eight fourteen, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I'm a child of God, a follower of Jesus, a follower mm-hmm. of the way. I'm led by the Holy Spirit. As Jesus said in John 7, 38, whoever believes in me... As Scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. John adds, but by this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in were later to receive. Up to that point, not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. So from Jesus and Paul, we clearly understand that if you believe in Christ, that is, you put your trust in Christ, you are indwelt to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will flow within you. Any departure from that is a clear departure from what Scripture teaches.
1: I'm Pastor Smith. You now have three minutes to respond.
2: Okay. Yeah, I don't have any questions. I'll just say why I believe in the three works of grace. The Bible does say grace causes you to labor. Paul said, I labored more abundantly than they all. Not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So God's grace causes us to labor, and it's God's grace that works with us to labor in justification, sanctification, and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Hebrews 4 states that as well. He said, labor to enter into this rest. They gave him a day of rest in the Old Testament, but the New Testament rest was the baptism of the Holy Ghost in the soul. Jesus Christ taught the kingdom of God comes in three steps. In Mark chapter 4, he said, a man sleeps, he he plants a seed, he sleeps, rises up. And he says, the earth brings forth herself, first the blade, then the ear, then the corn. So the kingdom of God. And -hmm. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. He said, speaking of the Holy Spirit. So there's three stages for the kingdom of God to grow in a person. Justification, sanctification, and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And I believe, the Bible said, he that hath not the spirit of Christ is none of his. I believe on that. But I also believe the Holy Spirit is working in someone who's justified. They have the Holy Spirit working in their human spirit. It's in their mind, but not their soul. So I believe a person that's justified, not for my sake, in a denomination, someone who would reject the message. I believe they can be genuinely justified. The Holy Spirit's dealing with them in their human spirit. They've repented their sins, and God is trying to lead them into sanctification, that second stage of the corn growing up. But it's up to them. They're either going to accept more. Gr- they're going to grow more by the power of, the, of God. Working out. Cleansing them out. Or they're not going to do it. Also, I want to say. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. Comes after you believe. Acts 8 proves that. They were all. Philip baptized them. But the whole. They believed. The Bible said they believed. But they were not. filled One with minute. The Bible. One minute. Okay. The Holy Ghost had not come on them. So John and Peter had to come down. Pray for them to get the Holy Ghost. Same thing in Acts 10. Cornelius was. Fasting, praying, giving alms, the Holy Spirit was moving on, but he wasn't born again until Peter came. And Acts 19, they believed in John's baptism. They were definitely justified, they were forgiven, but they couldn't get the Holy Ghost until Paul laid his hands on them. I'll just close by that. I think that's one of the biggest dangers is making a person born again as soon as they believe a justification. Because uh, they think that they've allowed all of God to work in their lives, but they haven't, they got to keep growing up, just as Jesus said.
0: All right, thank you. One comment on that. In 1964, William Branham began teaching that the evidence of the Holy Spirit was believing his message. He said this, there's only one evidence of the Holy Spirit that I know of, and that is a genuine faith in the promised word of the hour. Believing in William Branham's message is not the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Those are the words of a cult leader. Believe in me, and you've got the truth. He said it again in the Church Age book. Now, we have been constantly saying that the true evidence of being baptized with the Holy Ghost is for the believer to receive the word for the age in which he lives. The problem with William Branham's interpretation is it is not based on Scripture. In 1962, William Branham also stated that one of the mysteries that he brought was the mystery of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost without sensation. How is that different from what I believe that the Bible teaches about receiving the Holy Spirit when a person believes? William Branham's teachings were those, honestly, of a cult leader believe in me and you've got the Holy Spirit. And that's just non scriptural heresy.
1: And then you got another brief response if you'd like to. Pastor Smith.
2: Yeah, I believe when Brother Bram said you have to accept his message to be born again, I believe that's the Bible teaching, and I believe that's very clear. I, I believe that's right. But people can be saved outside the message. I totally agree with that. They can be saved, but to be really born again in Paul's day, you had to believe all of Paul's word. But Paul said it. Paul said in First Corinthians four seventeen, he taught the same thing in every church, and then in chapter eleven, he said women can't cut their hair. Because it's a shame unto them. It's clear. If you're born again, you will obey all the Word of God. Paul said he taught the whole counsel of God. I already mentioned that in Acts chapter 20. So I think it's clear through Scripture that you have to obey the Word of your hour. You have to obey the fullness of the Word because that's what Brother Ram did. He pointed us back to the Word of God, not his opinions, but just what was the Word of God. And all those people who accept all of that are going to be born again. And that includes being baptized in the literal name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all the works for sanctification that God leads us to as we grow up into grace. As Paul said, we must examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith, except we be reprobates. In 1 Corinthians 7, I believe that is. I could have the chapter wrong on that. But that's the evidence of a real believer. Jesus Christ said the evidence. Brother Brandon just said it another way. But Jesus Christ really said the evidence. He said, when you have the Holy Ghost, it'll guide you into all truth. And Brother Branham actually used that in the Church Age book as he grew in his understanding of That is the evidence. You believe all of the truth, all of God's word, and you live all of God's word that's revealed for your day.
1: And then it was Pastor Smith's question. So Mr. Bergen, you will have a last word on that. And then we'll move on to your third question. I want to make sure that the person who is being asked the question gets the last word when we talk about each question. So if I don't do that, please feel free to to call me on that and, and demand your quick response. But nonetheless, uh, brother, the floor is yours. And thank you, Brother Jesse, for the response there.
0: Yeah, I, I just had something on the tip of my f- tongue, and now it's gone. From my perspective, this issue of baptism of the Holy Spirit, and there was something Jesse said that I was going to, go into a little bit more detail but it has gone now. I should have written it down. But if it comes back to me, I'll
1: bring it up. I'm happy with leaving this where it is for the time being. All righty. And then you have your uh, third question for Pastor Smith.
0: Question number three. So Mark Twain uh, once said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. William Branham admitted on one occasion that he was prone to exaggerating the number of people that attended his meetings. But at what point does exaggeration become so wild that it must be classified as lying? I understand, Jesse, for something you said earlier that the Old Testament does contain examples of prophets who did at times fail morally, they they lied or whatever. However, these were not recurring issues and were also under the Old Covenant. Leaders in the New Covenant, leaders in the church, are called to a higher standard as Paul outlines in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter one. Now, here are a few examples of William Branham's lack of credibility. Virtually everything he said about the 1933 Ohio River experience has been proved to be false. William Branham stated he visited the graves of Muhammad, Buddha, and Confucius, but he didn't. William Branham's story about his introduction to Pentecostalism has been proved to be untrue. William Branham did not travel around the world seven times. William Branham said on several occasions that he'd been to the Vatican and saw the words vicarious d inscribed on the papal crown, but this is simply not factual. The problem with someone who repeatedly lies is that you never know when they are telling the truth, so everything they say becomes suspect. How could the messenger to the church of Laodicea, the Elijah prophet, and the angel of Revelation 10-7 be so lacking in credibility?
1: And Pastor Smith, you have five minutes.
2: Okay. The first question was, at what point does exaggeration become lying? I would say only God knows that in most cases. Humans are just forgetful, as we know, or their memories are, are not as good as others. For example, I often preach my mom was healed of lung cancer, and my wife will have to correct me after service, and Jesse, it wasn't lung, it was liver cancer. And I honestly just forget. I can relate in one way to Brother Branham, you know, forgetting details of stories or mixing up stories. The only way humans know if someone is exaggerating to the point where it's lying is they'd have to talk to the person one-on-one, and then the person would have to admit they lied on purpose or have some real substantial proof. We all make mistakes, but Brother Branham said he made thousands of mistakes, but he trusted in Jesus's grace to forgive him. He said, you forgive me, Lord. I didn't mean to do it. So... I give brother man the benefit of the doubt if he made a mistake i believe in most cases it, it wasn't on purpose abraham lied twice and then isaac lied twice about his wife if i'm not mistaken i could be wrong on that but i thought it i thought it went to the next generation with isaac as well so that was repeated you know twice and so men of god prophets of god are fallible in the new testament peter in galatians 2 he made a big mistake he separated himself from gentiles and paul had to come and rebuke him to his face he was basically segregating peter was guilty of segregation and he was a born-again christian and he was a prophet he foretold the day of the lord in second uh peter chapter three he was a genuine prophet of god but yet he he made a mistake he made a doctrinal mistake and then a mistake with the brethren so new testament prophets make mistakes in their lives as well and so we have to understand that everybody has their own different battle that they're working with Personally, now, your second question was, how could the messenger of the age be so lacking in credibility? First, I would say Brother Branham was extremely credible pointing the people to the Word of God, especially divine healing, salvation, water baptism, and doctrine. I met Sister Florence Humes in 2010, who Brother Branham said, go weigh yourself the next two Mondays, and you'll see you'll gain weight to be healed of tuberculosis. He was foretelling the future by vision, and she did. Now, that's credible to me. If someone tells you you're going to get well, you're dying of tuberculosis, you're skinny, you're losing weight, and someone tells you to go weigh yourself twice, two Mondays in a row, that's credible. So that's why I look at Brother Branham. It depends. He's very credible with the Word of God uh, on major doctrines. We know he had a lot of minor doctrines he changed over the years, but on most major doctrines, he was pretty thorough. Tom Brown, I met him. He passed away a few years ago. He went to a an interview with Brother Branham, and Brother Branham slid the answers across to him, across the table in an envelope before he even started talking about it. So God had showed him the questions and gave them to Brother Branham beforehand. He slid them across the table. That's Tom Brown's testimony. In my own study, I've heard Brother Branham preach the word and then I go and act upon it. I've cast out devils. God has stopped a woman's bleeding through me. He healed a kidney stone through my prayer. He healed arthritis through my prayer. Two barren wombs have brought forth babies through our prayers because I've listened to what Brother Bram said. He said, take Jesus at his word. Speak the word of God. Speak as you're led by the Holy Spirit. I believe Brother Bram is extremely credible in most cases. Of course, there are, we know, changes, inconsistencies with stories. I just think it's impossible for you, Rod, and I say this in love, to say all those examples you listed are false. Because honestly, you were not an eyewitness of those things. And on tapes, there's voices at times saying, yeah, I was a witness of 1933 down by the river. And you have people that say they were witnesses. When it really boils down to it, it's really, I honestly believe it's just your opinion against Brother Branham's opinion. And it's really hard for any of us to prove which one it was. How can I prove Brother one Brand- Okay, one minute. I'll just close this. I can't prove Brother Branham traveled the world seven times. I can't. I wasn't there. I don't take that as thus saith the Lord. To me, it it doesn't matter. I, I believe it was true. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I'm going to look at the credibility of the scripture and the character of Christ that he had, the humble life of Christ that he did, his devotion to the word of God, the supernatural wonders and miracles in my life and in thousands of people's lives that followed his ministry. Thank you.
0: That brings us to the end of part three of the debate. We will be releasing the remaining episodes over the next four weeks. As always, if you have any questions, please go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is space for comments and questions at the bottom of each episode. Or you can send me an email at rodofftheshelf.life. At please let us know if there are any issues or questions that you think we should address. Thank you very much for listening, and remember that God loves you and is not afraid of your questions. Have a great week.